When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, you are now listening to Indie Beat. You must know that, because you hit play. But hey, I appreciate that. My name's Christopher Jason Bell, and I'm usually here with a guest, so this episode is no different. I have here Theodore Kalados. Hello. Hello, Christopher Jason Bell, the backbone of indie <laughs> film. Nah, come on, man. So I'm serious, man. You're you're just you're you're uh, threading all of us together in such a powerful way, and I appreciate it. You said I'm threatening you guys all together. Threading, threading. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's definitely better. Um, I sewed a, I sewed a button on my shirt today, so threading is <laughs> on my mind. I hear you. Um, so I'm gonna call you Teddy because that's how we do it. Yeah. And you call me Chris. Indeed. Let's leave all leave all that crap behind. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've done this before. <laughs> you must, uh, you listeners might have picked up on that um i've known teddy for a while we did a piece last summer together where we interviewed one another um we had both cut part of our we we made first we made our features our first features uh mine was called the winds that scatter teddy's was called dipso and we both happened to cut a small chunk out of each film and we made a short out of it my short was called One Times One, and Teddy's was called Time. Although, we, for that interview, we were premiering Albatross, which is a totally different story, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, these are all... I'll, I'm, going, I'm linking Albatross and Time and all this stuff into the article, and you should check them out. And you should also check out that Filmmaker Magazine interview piece that i mentioned but uh yeah like i said teddy and i go way back and here we are now talking again so i'm here we are grown men we (laughs) all Um, of a sudden yeah i can't believe it's been a year since that yeah it's pretty i mean you know it's sad and and cool in a way in, in both ways as most things are um but uh why don't we start with how you got like how did film making bite you or how did cinema in general like bite you like where did it begin for you where did cinema begin for me um when i was young i was a photographer and a painter and i went to school for that and um just to get rid of some art history credits i thought you know film class would be awesome and so i started with the films of Igmar Bergman and loved it and then went on to the French New Wave, loved it and went on to New German Cinema, New Czech Cinema and on and on um, and just transferred away from what I was doing to to study film. And I just, part of the reason was that I felt like I could be 
doing film for the rest of my life where I felt like photography or painting um, being sort of two-dimensional um, wasn't three-dimensional enough for, for me to f- feel like I could do it my whole life and and to be challenged by it my whole life, really. So, so yeah, that's how it started. Um, a lot of my initial kind of film stuff was experimental. The first kind of film classes I took was at an art school that didn't really teach... Um, I don't want to say it didn't teach anything, but it kind of, there was no, um, they just gave you a camera. We watched really cool work. Um, a lot of the early video work, um, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, Vito Acconci was a guy I was really digging at the time. Bruce Nauman, um, the usual suspects, Meyer Darren, this kind of stuff. And, um, but not really having any understanding of narrative, so... Um, I feel like I've been fighting to understand narrative since then. Um, but yeah, just transferred to the film school and just dove in, really. But yeah, it started more kind of... I started more as a quote-unquote artist, and I hate that word, but... Fair enough. Um, so you went to school for it, you had this passion. I'll ask, like... So you must have been making films at this point, but... Can you figure out a film that you made that was something you're like not embarrassed by? You know what I mean? What I mean? You know, I'm honestly not embarrassed by anything, and I don't think anyone should be because it is what they were at that time, and I think that's totally fine. And um, I feel like you know, with art, that's how it is. You know, there's you have your sketchbook, then you have your you know your your canvas that you've made yourself out of wood and canvas and um you know i think filmmakers just have this idea of like a quote-unquote career or whatever they think success is and and it's just the cliche sundance stories that are just they're just pr you know stories about people quote-unquote making it and so my kind of vision is a little different where you know it's productive to just be making work as, you know, someone that makes work. Um, and I just think everything that you do is valid and, and of the time that you made it. And, you know, you're, I, I don't think it's fair to hold yourself to the standard of perfection when, you know, so few of us actually have budgets to even try for the idea of what we were trained as. I, I agree. I mean, that's how I, I see it. I like when, um, you know, artists I like are doing a ton of different things and experimenting and, and trying. And, you know, not everything is like, you know, they're not always knocking it out of the park. But Well, I, yeah, I mean, the idea that is even misleading to me. I mean, like, that's why I love your work, because you just do work and you know you're not trying i don't feel like you're trying to do a certain thing or even control what you're doing you're like it's instinctual and you're producing things and they have a different kind of flavor each time and um i think that's just a natural way to do stuff um you know like it, at the end of the day you're you're trying to hone the best version of you, but 
do do we ever know who we are? Yeah, I think it's also like I think it's how um work is assessed too, or rather like not assessed. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like you know, want to talk about like narrative, like uh, you know, body of work in terms of like what the narrative is. And we're kind of obsessed with this narrative of like or or how we're taught to to think of our like filmography or whatever where it's like you know you can't have a stinker like you got to like do this and then like the next step is like you get like this kind of budget with like these kind of actors and stuff like that whereas like I find obviously I find what I do interesting or else I wouldn't be doing it but what you do is like we do kind of similar thing and I think that's interesting um and I think if like the narrative was there it wouldn't be like such a crazy thing i feel like if there was like an assessment of the work and like what it meant and all that then it wouldn't seem like i don't know like people don't take short films that seriously for the most part there's not a lot of like good writing on them uh in that sense uh this is not a question this is just if you can build off that thought yeah i know i get what you're saying i just feel like I feel like the conversation around film is defined by basically the haves. And when you're a have-not, the conversation is a totally different conversation. If you're a have-not, you either make things or you just don't. And so it's not fair to really, like, you know, people are like, oh, like, you've done X amount of features and that means whatever and whatever, but I never had help to do any of them. So it's a different conversation than, like, you know like a Sundance lab winner on their first film and Sundance is supporting their entire film and then it's premiering it at Sundance. It's like, it, it's a different kind of opportunity that you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's, I feel like there's hundreds of different conversations on the topic that aren't really explored. It's always based on like the Robert Rodriguez made this like, a hundred dollar film and now he's a famous filmmaker and it's to me it's a lot of like pr define defining this the story of the american dream through film yeah there is a lot of like and we kind of don't see it as much or like it's not called out as much like that where it's like oh this is like a a manufactured narrative this is like yeah you know he did that it's not as like clean as it probably was but he did that and that's our story and that's what we can aspire to or you could aspire to this you could do um what the mumblecore filmmakers did or you could do this and it's kind of just like to kind of everyone can pick up their own camera and it'll look nice now and decent sound equipment is available to you and then you could do a ton of different things and people are saying that you can do that but the the support isn't there. Like anybody can make a film and anybody can like throw it up online. But there's anyone anyone does. Yeah, yeah. No, and they do, but like in terms of like making a movie and having those kind of like that like artistic intent of like this is a movie, whatever that means, but you know, you get the gist. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean a lot of times as, you know, we both know is like what it means is someone trying to mimic what they think is a, is this successful film rather than kind of needing to work something out or like acting instinctually and just making a work that surprises yourself when you know like 
I don't know. I try to make stuff that it surprises me, like, that I made it. I'm not trying to kind of make a certain kind of a film to achieve a certain goal to then get a certain job or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I feel like I can smell that on a lot of films. Yeah, I, I feel that too. And that doesn't mean that they're, I can't get anything out of them or that they're not fun. But I think more often than not, it does. Um, and I don't know as like a, from a filmmaker perspective, I don't really understand it because I, I guess it's just, I don't have the discipline to do something like that, to like see something the whole way through knowing that like, oh, all this is, is like a step up for me and I can't find my own way in. Like I would never be able to do that. And at times when I've had to do that just in like college in terms of like completing an assignment and it had to like look a certain way or whatever, I was never really able to do it, and I now I would be spending my own money and you know all my own resources to do that. And like, if I didn't have a way in, you know, I don't know how that would even be made. To me, a lot of that is defined about opportunity, and you know, if I had an opportunity to make a film, <laughs> um, I would make it a certain way. But, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm just kind of cobbling things together and, and trying to make something that is interesting, but aesthetically maybe out of control. It depends. I mean, it varies project to project. And, you know, I like I have different interests and different moods and different films reflect that. I'm not I don't kind of make the same movie again and again. Um because it's just I just have interests in lots of different kind of movies. So when you're making I guess a longer work, um I understand that you are putting like things together and you know kind of creating like a controlled chaos or you know as much control as you can possibly do, but are you looking to specific films when you're like doing this work to like pull inspiration from or Yeah, I mean sure. Um I I don't know. It's such a hard question because I was trying to even reflect if I do that. Um, but for the longer ones, I do because I wasn't trained as a writer. And I would desperately love to work with a writer, but um, I can't or I haven't had the opportunity yet. So a lot of times I'll watch a certain genre or something like that just to get a flow of like structure. Yeah. Um, so I remember with Dipso, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is, um, uh, the last picture show mm-hmm. and you wouldn't probably even get that idea at all from watching Dipso, but I was watching that movie a lot just to get a feeling of like how, for instance, how long is a scene, you know, how many scenes are in a movie and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that helped. I mean, that's what I've done to try to to manage a feature length project and this is a good lead into dipso because i wanted to start off talking about that uh now like pretty early so uh if you can can you for people who haven't seen it can you give us a synopsis of dipso like a really short thing and kind of very briefly tell us why you wanted to make that 
Um, God, a synopsis is tough. Like you can pull up by him. Basically, <laughs> I wanted. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I have trouble repeating things a lot, and I had a Q and A last night where it was like back to back with a Q and A the night before, and I had such trouble with it because you're forced to repeat the same information. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, I'm not an actor, and that's really difficult for me. But you know, Dipso is basically about you know, like, what happens to the angry punk rocker political guy in his 20s when now he's in his 30s and it's like a different era of your life and how do you transition into the next era of your life when you have this residue of your your idealistic youth and so that that's kind of the concept of it um and then it follows um Tommy, who's in a family, and it, and it has to do with class. Like a lot of my films, and I just think class is so important in this country, and it's just overlooked because of this idea that there's upward mobility when oftentimes there isn't, unless you win the lottery. But, um, you know, so the, the film is structured generationally, where it's a post-industrial town, it's a GE town, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, you know, the grandfather was, like, an executive at GE. The, the father was, like, a, a manager at GE. And then it's, like, it's this step system of, like, the generations towards us. And so, like, the, the you know, the older brothers, you know, kind of forced to join the military. You know, the middle brother is Tommy, and he's just kind of, like, was a punk rocker. Now he's lost. And then the younger brother is a thief. So it's just kind of, to me... It's kind of, you know, for what I was trying to do is represent like the generational pull from baby boomer to us, and just in terms of like even a small town, um, where, you know, even like my parents grew up in a town where there was like one industry that funded the entire town, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, and then, then and then just the effects of that of just like. You know, like, I had the privilege to go to college, for instance, and a lot of people don't, and they're kind of fucked right now. You know, like, our industry is elsewhere, and just what that means in real life um, in the town I was living in, in Pittsfield. So, and just kind of, just trying to show that, I don't know. Watching this film, um, it really struck me uh, because of the things you already mentioned where you touched on the economy, you touched on the class system. Um, it's also, you know, not so much in the final film, but as a companion piece to your short film time, you dealt with the prison system a little bit, um, mental illness in that, in that way in terms of time, and uh, you dealt with, you know, the military, the military and our wars. How did you kind of fit all this in? Cause it feels natural. It feels great. And it's something that I really want out of, you know, an American indie, like a movie that kind of deals with the country, like what it's like to actually live in it without all of the like privileged bullshit. It's like, this is the state that we live in and let's sort of at least a little bit reckon with it. How did you fit all this in without it? Like, it doesn't feel like you're, you know, heavy handed or anything. It just feels natural and it doesn't feel like bloated in any way. You know, was there a balancing act that you had to do or 
What was that like? I just feel like it, it's just such a universal story right now that, like, the theme of the whole thing was why pursue your dreams when you can just drink? Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I think that's just such a universal thing in, in this country. And even in New York City, I mean, you have, like, these happy hours at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on, like, a Monday um, but especially in towns where there's just, you know, there's no work except, at least in the Berkshires, there's very few jobs for that are actual jobs. It's just service industry. So you're, you're, you know, and if you're not fit for that, then it's tough. And it's even tough in the service industry. But, you know, um, I mean, there's tree cutting. There's, you know, probably nurse, you know, nursing stuff, but it's very limited. Um, so it just is real. I mean, like the, the older brother is based on a friend of mine who was in Iraq and he came back and he was just having problems because no one gave a shit that we were in war mm-hmm. and it was confusing to him and the lack of adrenaline and all that and his girlfriend didn't really understand he was having outbursts and got to the point where ironically he wanted to re-enlist even though it was the thing that most hurt him as being in war and i just found that so fascinating and apparently it's a very common thing um to re-enlist like that and it kind of broke my heart that you know, to give meaning to like young men or young people, you have this war and then that gives meaning because there's no meaning back at home. Yeah. So that's just a real thing. And then, you know, Arthur had been in a different film, the the grandfather guy and, and he was, he's a really close friend of mine and he was just really old at the time. And um, he started getting paranoid and, and stuff like that, but then he would catch himself and he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm getting paranoid. And, and so the scene in the movie is like a real scene that happened with me and him and where he's, you know, being paranoid about being phone tapped and stuff like that. And, um, and then Matt, I had done like a short documentary cause he actually did want to be a a stand-up comedian for like two seconds after he got out of prison yeah. and we did this little documentary and i just just real short like five minute thing and you know basically he just got really drunk and he, he did a great job but like he wouldn't get off the stage and it was a punk rock show and people were just like trying to get him off the stage and and uh there was just so much energy in it and, and i was like I got to make a movie about this kind of energy. Um, so I used a lot of bits from his life and, and then I pieced together the cast through him and through people I was close to. Um, so like the girlfriend in the movie is his ex-girlfriend and the older brother is someone that, you know, he went to high school with. And then the younger brother is actually his brother. And then, so it it just created a very like comfortable kind of personal private atmosphere. It wasn't like we had a huge crew or something or anyone felt like we were making a movie, you know, it was just, um, and then I just tried to follow a structure, you know, of just like getting out of jail and the full circle of going back to jail. So 
what do you do when you get out of jail? You need to get a car. You need to get a job. You're trying to reconnect with people. You know, you, you think that you want to follow your dream and then you get sidetracked. And so that was kind of the basic thing. Um, but yeah, it was all non-actors and there wasn't really a script. There was just like an outline that I would tell them like what, where to go in the scene from like A, B, C, D. It's kind of what, you know, like start with A topic, B topic, C topic, end with this. And I mean, the whole thing started with, I was driving home from uh, a lunch shift at the bar and I saw this, what appeared to me is like a skinhead just walking down the street, but he had a Native American jacket on. And I was just like, who is this guy? And he just had that raw, just like 20 something rage. And so I turned the car around and I started looking for him because I was like, I want to do a movie with this guy. And I followed him or I found him as he was going inside of a church. And I was like, what? And then so I get out of the car and I go to the church and he was going to like a church like supper. And I I felt like, oh, whoa. And I talked to a guy outside and he knew who he was. And he's like, hey, if you want some dinner, come in. I just felt kind of awkward. And I was like, so I just left and it just kind of you know, haunted me or kept with me to where I was like, I got to find this guy. And so for the next few months, I just was looking for this guy, like just day after day, and I could not find him. And Matt uh, was a really close friend of mine. And we're just, I was telling him about this. And so he started going on the rides with me. And so over the next couple of months, um, I just kind of was like, I'm going to make this about Matt. And then we developed a story together. Um, and, like, I didn't watch Alan Clark until well after Dipso, but um, I love Alan Clark, and I feel like there's it's in the same world, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a kinship there, definitely. Um, but, yeah, Dipso rules. Um, <laughs> so... I want to talk a little bit about uh, your short film. So I mentioned Time, and Time was originally part of what Dipso was, and then you made it its standalone, its own thing. You have um, Albatross, which was going to be a feature, but it ended up finding its shape as a short. Um, uh, Truth with Wine. Right. I also love... Um, which is a, I guess you shot that like kind of a while ago and it, was it, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that movie is? Truth with Wine? Yeah. Truth with Wine, I feel that every filmmaker has the obligation to make a film about their family and it's the hardest thing you can do. And I was editing, I was helping edit a friend of mine's documentary and his family, and it was really intense to the point where he needed help editing it. And it was brutal footage, and and I was just like, I have to do something on my family. Every family is unique. So that's kind of where it came from. I just, it wasn't even as conscious as that, but I just started shooting, and I did, there was like, like, the first cut was like a feature of like, 
my grandmother and my this and all, all the different layers. And it just kind of sat there. But when people would watch it, they're just like, the end is so good. And just the way that film is, people don't want to watch stuff anymore. Um, they just, you know, the attention span. And I, I feel like there was a time, maybe maybe I didn't live through it, that people had interest in just, like, watching longer-form things. But, I, you know, it just kind of sat around in this, like, long version for years. And, and I just kind of watched it again. I was like, I'm just going to make this short and focus on the end. Were you submitting the long form no no i mean a lot of my stuff i didn't even bother submitting because people do not accept experimental work it's just sad to say but it you know everything is slick and narrative and and god forbid you shoot with an sd camera you know so and a lot of times i didn't have access to like the equipment that was of the day so i would just shoot on whatever i had or you know um so a lot of the shorts, you know, like Berlin Day to Night or whatever is like from a PD-100 and Adam and Joel, these other shorts or whatever. But so, yeah, and then, you know, it was just like this Truth With Wine it was just this this dinner party with my family. It was like a Christmas holiday party. And um, I had no intention for it, but it just the story became like them not wanting to be filmed and what that meant. and And then the end stuff, like I, I would like to say I was totally conscious for, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I think just instinctually I knew to film it, but I don't, I didn't do it intentionally or sneakily, but at the same time, like I am a filmmaker. So I feel like I just clicked into mode and, and just like let the camera keep running. But, um, and that was just something I had been wanting to say to my stepfather, which I hadn't. And I felt like, it would just be a shame to not say the things you need to say to someone before it's too late and hoping to like shift the family dynamic. What was the difference? Like, or did you have a difference with something like, um, with your short films in terms of like, Oh, here was like sort of a documentary thing that you did and you ultimately cut down. Um, here's something that was going to be longer, but can't. So I'm need to make it shorter. Like how do you approach, reshaping these films well i mean none of the shorts have been like like with a feature i i try to find structure and i try to do a film with a short i like i I just look at it like a sketchbook and like i'm not trying to do beginning middle and end i'm not trying to have dolly shots you know like i'm trying to just make something hopefully interesting so and i think um, in terms of like festivals and whatever, they suffer because of that, because it's like people want the perfect short film that, that like mimics a perfect feature film where it's like, yeah, there's a quick setup, there's the turning point, there's the whatever. And then there's like, uh Oh, the twist at the end, you know? Um, so some of the shorts are just like, like, like albatross just kind of fell apart in my hands because people just didn't want didn't didn't want to do it and they just disappeared and then time it's just like time was so strong by itself it was disrupting the momentum of dipso so it was like to start with time 
totally screwed with like the pacing and the momentum and it just turned off like 50% of the audience just because of the subject matter. And to me, that's like ridiculous, but that's the way it is. And so I just made the choice to just like, okay, just focus on the one character, just get into the story, you know, cause I love movies. Like, I don't know if it's like twilight zone or something, but we're, we're like, it'll start on a character. Like the first shot will be someone you think that's the main character. Then it'll go to someone else. And you're like, Oh, that's the main character. And then, and then, oh, there's a third, and then you're like, that's the main character, and then finally it lands on the main character. I just love that beginning. And so I always, I've always tried to do it, and, like, often it fails. But, like, that's an example of trying to do that, where, like, you see one jail cell, and you think that those are the main characters, then you go to the next and the next, and you're not sure who is the story going to be about. And then because of that, it becomes, my idea is that it's, like, a universal story. It's, like... It's like you could pick any of these people and you're and you're gonna have a movie because yeah. everyone is interesting. Hmm. So I feel like if you like have the patience to listen to anyone, like they're interesting. Like if yeah. if you put judgment aside. So like the, yeah, some of the shorts are just like I don't know. Just like, hey, I have an idea. Let's just go out and do it, or, or just complete failure. And I mean, I mean, that's yeah, that's exactly how I do it. And I, I don't know why more people don't do it because at the end of the day, it's also just like you're practicing, you're sharpening your skills. If it's like, if it's a failure, you don't get anything out of it, and you can't salvage it for whatever reason. Like you're still, you're directing. You know, you're like thinking you're problem solving and all this shit and it's kind of just like don't make it a big deal just like come up with an idea you know be excited about it and then go do it it doesn't have to be this like you shouldn't be spending if you want to that's fine but i think it's kind of weird to be like you know twenty thousand dollars on a short if you want to do that that's fine but you don't have to you can do it for much 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 less and still come out with something cool and I seriously do not know why more people don't do it now that we have, like, pretty decent cameras, like, in our pockets. You know, just shoot and try. You yeah, know. true enough. You know, there's many – everybody's different, but there is a huge slice where film is a business to them. And, you know, like, a short that is $20,000 tells me more about ego than – like the story. Yeah. Because of because of what you just said, I mean, there's there's access to so much yeah. that you're it's like you're trying to get something be like in the future as opposed to like acting on instinct and creating something that you know, you're feeling. Yeah, I don't know. But We'll never know. Anyway. We'll never know, because yeah, <laughs> everybody's different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now you are touring with your second feature, Tormenting the Hen. Tormenting the Hen. Tormenting yeah. the Hen. Um, so yeah. Can you, <laughs> yeah. Can you give us uh, the little synopsis treatment and why you wanted to you know, do that idea? Basically, the root concept to me is 
frustration with our times and frustration with like quote unquote progressive people where I feel like um, at this point uh, I hate the word progressive but this kind of like progressive people that want to move things forward in the positive direction have kind of created identity as its own kind of intolerance and just how we self divide each other. And so where, you know, we have all these subgroups of progressives, but like if we would just be unified, we could maybe win. (laughs) Um, So I was just, you know, just the frustration with that and just trying to do like a kind of a, a critique on that. And um, just that really. Yeah. I mean, that's where the in, in, initial idea came from. And, and at the same time I was having these thoughts, there was, uh, an older woman that was dying in the apartment next door. And every morning at 4am, she would be banging the front door against the, uh, the concrete and it would be going up up the building, just waking everybody up. And she must have been like, I don't know, 90s or very, very old. And she'd be screaming religious things to the street and just... And at first, it's just like, damn, that's, that's you know, it's sad and stuff like that. After a couple of years, though, it was just like, you just start having negative feelings towards this person. And, and um, you know, I, I was talking to my... My the basement uh, guy that lives in the basement and we're really close and we were just kind of commiserate about it where it's just like we understood like it's 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 humanity and it's like sad but then we're like yeah but we're fucking like we're up at four a.m. every day and it was like you know making us crazy too and um and so just that feeling of like feeling guilty about not liking someone you don't even know and that happened that's just the human thing that like we all do at points in like the day or even our life. And, you know, like, like we're talking right now in the context of this podcast and everything is like nice and we all are like on the right side of everything, but then we go outside and we may not act our best selves and we may not have the best feelings all the time. And, um, and so my basement neighbor gave me this book called the pear shape man. And it's by the guy that did, uh, what's it called? The, the, uh, the Game of Thrones or whatever. Like, I don't, I, I forget his name. I'm not into Game of Thrones, but, yeah. but uh, he did. He, I think it's him or it's like, yeah. yeah. Or, or the Lord of the Rings guy. I don't know. It was either the Lord of the Rings guy or, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the Game of Thrones guy. I can't remember because I'm not into sci-fi, but, um. But he did a normal short story where it's just about this guy that starts to hate his neighbor for no reason because of things like he doesn't take out the trash or like he whatever, whatever, whatever. And just like this irrational dislike towards someone. Um, and so that's pretty much where the story of Tormenting the Hen is. Like this couple goes to a rural area to put on like a political play and they're confronted by, by this mysterious guy who seems threatening and during the course of writing i kept repeating like sticks and stones can break your bones but names 
can never hurt you. That's what my grandmother would always say to me. And it was like, and I was experiencing the exact opposite in school. So, you know, and it's just a universal thing. It's like that you try to teach people that words don't hurt, but words do hurt. And now more than ever, now it's like at a, at a, at a, at a, you know, an extreme level, <laughs> like, of like words are more offensive than actions. And so that's what the script was about is like a world where words are more offensive than actions. And, um, to, yeah, to say anything more, I'd be kind of like spoil, spoil alert or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, constructing the film, like how you shot it? I think, you know, doing this and then doing Dipso, I think is a really inspirational thing. And hopefully if like, Hopefully if people who are budding filmmakers or haven't made the leap to the feature yet, I think you make really interesting films and you do it on the dime, if that's the right use <laughs> of that want, saying. I don't want to do that. Yeah. To be clear. But, uh, right, right, yeah. No, yeah. if any, all right, if there's like billionaires and you're, you know, not a terrible person, you are free to give Teddy money to make a new movie. <laughs> Life is not one thing, and... A film should not be one thing, and and your all of your films should never be the same thing. And so, um, you know, Dipso was reflecting where I was at then, and and Hen was reflecting where I'm at, you know, like two years ago now, and not even necessarily now. It's like it's kind of interesting to do like Q and A's and interviews on it. But um, Tormenting the Hen was shot in six days. It was an eight day shoot, but I fucked something up and lost two days, but, uh, um, and a a lot of it kind of harkened back to film school, how you make a film, how you organize people, how you organize your time, how do you shoot in like, in a kind of constructive way. So like the locations were centralized for instance, so that made it easier to shoot so fast. Um, that like it was the most written script I've ever worked with. Um, so that, it's really helped. I know that's like such a basic thing. Like, yeah, I have a script, but a lot of the times I didn't really have even the luxury of a script because I'm not a natural writer. So it's easier for me to, to just tell people what to do or like, Hey, we're doing the scene. And, you know, so I really took a to- the time to kind of write enough of a script to give the actors a lot of food to eat. And then they kind of helped me get it to the next level. Yeah, I think there's like um, a sort of a misconception. Maybe I'm making this up. I have no idea. But I feel like um, maybe because of Mumblecore that people think if you're shooting something for a small amount of money, it can't look good or it can't be like scripted or whatever like that, which is, you know, just not true. You should at least like it's a good idea to at least have like a plan. And if your plan is an outline or a script, that's fine. Like you can have them like we don't really make these things with just like a bunch of friends getting together and like just having a camera and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think Mumblecore has done a a disservice to the following generations of people because of that. And, but, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was like a 90 page script. I got like quote unquote real actors like Meisner trained, um, and 
you know, cast people that, again, knew each other um, very, very intimately. So just to create that, you know, naturalism. And uh, shot it myself, which made things, it was harder, but, like, it was easier, too, because it just kind of made it go quicker. Um, I lit it myself. Like, all these things, it was just, I wouldn't recommend it. It was, like, traumatizing. But, uh, but it, you know, you say six days, and you're like, holy shit. And, like, I'm thinking, holy shit, now, like, that it, more time is passing. But um, it also helped that there was no crew at the same time. And the actors were so good that, they didn't need to be coddled at all. They're just like, they were just like, go, 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 go. Like, we want to do this. We love this script. We think this, the ideas are great. Um, we all kind of share a similar political view. And uh, that was my collateral. That was my budget. Is just like these talented people. And after Dipso, it was like, I was, you know, like almost after every film I do, like I, I'm on the verge of quitting. <laughs> and uh, I was like, whatever I do next needs way more structure and it just needs to be done quickly, you know, and efficiently and produced as fast as possible so that I have the opportunity to like make more films that I, I want to make. So how would you replicate this kind of work style without doing it exactly the same, like without going crazy again? Like what would you do differently, but still sort of similarly? Well, I think differently is that I know you and I know people like I, when I did dip, so I didn't know anyone. I just made a film and moved to New York and with tormenting the hen, I knew people, but I couldn't afford to hire them. And I think at this point, you know, like, it's to the point where like I could ask people a favor and in exchange for favor. And like, you know, Tyler helps on tormenting the hen and, you know, and, um, I would do anything to help him. And so it's, that's part of it. Um, but it also just depends on what the opportunity is. Like depending on if there's even an opportunity at all, like we'll determine even which of the, you know, dozen plus films that I want to do, like I'll pull the trigger on, you know? So if I have nothing again, that will determine what kind of, which idea I pull from the hat. Yeah. Um, but I think I might do a lower budget one, but I can't even plan because I'm going to say something and then like, it's not going to come true. So and people are going to get pissed. Yeah. The con- the okay, comment like section. Liar. Yeah, the comment section is gonna be like it's gonna be burning down. Yeah. <laughs> um but no, but yeah, I mean I mean it's... it would be nice to not do something in six days. But at the same time I was living my life. I'd like like the time of my life I felt alive, you know. Yeah. And I felt like that's what life should be about, is just like these kind of extreme moments. Yeah, I mean you know, I'm go I go to work every day and I'm just like, man, I wish I could just be shooting or or that I had a shoot coming up and that there wasn't like a weird pressure, you know, to 
even set up a short and like have to organize everybody and, and figure it out. Um, you're prolific, man. Though you're 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 doing it. Yeah, I'm trying, but it's just like there's so many other things to think about that I wish I only had to. I mean, I basically wish I didn't have to work. I wish I was. <laughs> I wish yeah. I was independently wealthy like all the other cool New York filmmakers. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. So whatever. So, I mean, the response to not is just like making things. Yeah. No, I'm and trying. And you're definitely doing that. I mean, I'm like, I feel like I'm trying to keep up with you. Stop. Oh, you. <laughs> um, so now that we're on this topic, uh, how do you think the world of independent cinema could be improved? Oh, boy. Um, God. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> um, well, you know, start with, like, your gripes. You know, I think your gripes are legitimate, and what are your gripes, and how can well, those I mean, be... I don't know. I mean, like, gripes aren't good, because it doesn't change things. Well, yeah, that's um, why the question is, like, how can you take those gripes and, like, make a change in, like, the system or any of the institutions or anything like that? I don't know, because there's not a system right now. I think that there was up until, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And now it's like only the rich survive on almost all levels of society right now. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're going to do fine, and they'll be the ones you're reading about, and the rest of us have to, like, gripe. <laughs> you know? Because it is, it's just like, it's such an expensive business. Like, you, you've you heard about a certain film because there's like a $10,000 PR attached or a publicist. Yeah. And so, like, that's what you're up against. I'm glad you you mentioned that because that's kind of a thing that I think is taken for granted. and Or, like, it's just not thought about because it's regular. But it's like... We're not like, I mean, we are bitter in one sense, but it's, we're not like crazy conspiracy theorists. It's like, no, no it's these, very simple. I mean, yeah, you there's money or you don't. And, and my response to like, oh, like you're bitter or whatever. If you were truly bitter, you wouldn't be making work and you're making like a ton of work. So, I mean, um, but go on, sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, it's fine. It's just, like, there's there's money behind these things. There's, like, what what I think people should do, what I would, you know, hope that they would want to do or whatever, is that, like, if you are a, a critic or a tastemaker of any kind of thing, like, maybe you're established or maybe you're coming up, like, you would dig around and look for films. But um, that's not always the case. I will give you that, like, it sometimes is the case, but... Basically, what you said, I think, is right on the money, literally, is that if you're hearing about a film, it's because there's money behind it. They hired a publicist to get the film out there, and that's why it's, like, coming to your city or, like, you know, it's being written about. Like, that's not – it's just something that's not thought about. And it's, like, if we don't have that, then – if we don't have that money, then we don't have that opportunity to do that. And, you know, there's only, like, let's say you get into, like, a cool lab and, you know, they'll help you out. Like, there's only so many slots and there's only so many people they can do that for. So it's really hard. It's really difficult. 
and I wish that there were other avenues that you could um, seek out or that there were people I kind of like picking up others who uh, get left behind or whatever. Yeah, or just like a f- some sort of a fair shot, but, um, you know, just the cliche, life isn't fair, so you've got to make your own your own opportunities. But, you know, it's just like the thing my mom's like, and I probably all of our moms and all of our parents, you know, say is just like, you know, like, why is this crappy movie? And there's like just crap on TV. And it's like, because it was bought. It's not like things like, it's not like art is, and even in the art world, it's not like the, the organically best people just like rise to the top, like mysteriously. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's orchestrated. Like a festival is no different than like what's opening up this weekend. It's just like there's a ton of movies that open up on a Friday and a lot of them are bad. A lot of them like someone might, you know, get something out of. They think they're decent. But it's true to say that somebody would go to the movies and maybe see a terrible movie and they're like, why the fuck? Like, how the fuck did that get made? Like, I don't understand this. This is terrible. And this is a movie that like someone put out in the in the theaters and it's the same thing for you know if a movie is playing in like at this like even prestigious like film festival and or you know it's on netflix now and stuff like that like there are pieces of shit they exist and people will watch them some people will like them and other people will be like i can't believe this like what's going on so it's not like i i think like We've both thought about this a lot, but I think that, you know, like what's going on is is capitalism. And I think that, like, you know, to be under the illusion that, like, festivals kind of push you forward into a certain career or give you opportunity is the American dream. And but what's really going on is straight up capitalism. Um and I think knowing that, like, can mediate the, you know, the tendencies towards bitterness. For me, anyways, I don't know. Yeah, no, that could be true. Um, I But I don't know what the alternative is. Socialism, baby. Yeah, or just, like, so my stepfather's a musician, and... In the orchestra world, there's the whole thing of um, auditioning in front of or behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we got, to, like, he, he had a student that was over that was having dinner, and they were just talking about, like, the different auditions, and some some it's, like, mail and tape. Some it's, like, you can't, like, a lot of them you can't see who it is. You're, like, strictly listening to the sound. And... There's something to that. All right, so you cut out all, like, if I were to, like, um, put that on what we do, it would be, like, you cut out all the bullshit, such as, like, image and how it's presented and, like, what you've heard about something, and it would just be, like, filtered in to, like, a viewer, and they would watch it without all, like, the baggage. I mean, that would be true democracy, right? I mean, that would be, like... You know, it doesn't matter that it's Dario Argento. Like, is it good or is it not? Okay. You know, I yeah. don't know. But but I'm just kind of, you know. Well, I thought, <laughs> I heard, um, shit, did I lose it again? Um, well, I was talking, 
I, I had this thought the other day, like a couple weeks ago, because I always bother my girlfriend with this shit. And she went to film school, so she gets it. But it still must be, like, mind-numbing to her, and she just won't tell me. But um, I was thinking about it, and it's like, if imagine, like, you, you're talking to someone who has no idea, like, what anything about, like, film and, you know, indie film, how, we're like, we're making movies and stuff like that. They would probably think we're fucking, like out of our minds if you were to just like explain to them every like beat and like what you're doing and what you're supposed to do like okay so i write this really long thing and then i put everything together which means like hiring a bunch of people or maybe getting my friends to like help me out for free and i'll feed them and then i spend a ton of time like working on that shooting it like cutting it like thousands and thousands of hours and then Oh yeah, I have to like I have to send it to someone. I have to send it to this thing and I have to pay money. I have to I give them money. I already spent money to make the movie. So now I have to pay these people to watch it and um yeah, I guess like some of them don't watch it. I don't know. But uh yeah, so they just have this like, you know, they basically click yes or no and then you get no and like yeah, you just keep doing that like 20, 30 times and then like maybe they'll they'll play it and um yeah, like, you have to kind of go with the film, so you have to pay money to, like... It's insane. Like, this is, that like... It is insane. It's so crazy to, like, break that down and actually be like, this is what we've accepted, and this is just what we do. And it and it, and it kind of bottled... It bottlenecks the kind of movies that exist. You know, like, again, I can you know, started in art school, and it's, like, all of the, you know, famous experimental filmmakers and whatever would never get into a film festival now because you know it's just a more organic style yeah and you know if you don't get into certain four festivals like it's you know <laughs> that's it well yeah, well, yeah it feels that's like it. you might as well not exist or you know maybe you do have money and you can buy your way in but I don't know. I mean, there's the thing, I guess you sort of mentioned it or maybe like a couple minutes ago where it was just like, we have the ability to do these things. And I feel like you're always reading things where, and I said it, but like, I mean it in a certain way, but people are saying like, Oh, you could, anybody can shoot, just shoot. Like you have like, you know, cameras on your phone and I'm telling you to do this, but the people who are, also saying it like i'll tell you there's like there's no support for this like you can go on youtube and okay so there's support there but if you want to like make a movie like oh my favorite movie is this i want to make something sort of similar to it i'm going to use my phone there's probably not going to be like like yeah you can make that movie and that's really cool and i want you to but you know in terms of like getting it screened and getting it assessed and stuff like that which is, you know, it is a bit like, you know, why do you deserve that? But I think if you, like, make this movie and there's a, a great voice, like, behind it and there's this artistry, it's not necessarily going to be found because there's there's no support for it. Like, oh, what no. would you do yeah, with it? No, you, would, no. you would do exactly like... I mean, it's easier... Sorry. No, I mean, like, you would either put it on YouTube, hope it gets seen, maybe it won't be, 
or you like throw your money away, like sending it to festivals. Um, there's just not a lot you can really do with it. So like, yes, you can make your film, but then what? There's the then what, and then what is basically nothing. I know. That's the existential void, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, basically, it's easier to make a film and harder to show it. You know, it's like, if you look at, like, Sundance 1992, like, 90% of those films probably sucked. You know, but they literally, films would just get programmed just because they were made. Now it's, like, the opposite. Now it's, like, like, you know... The, the opposite of that it's like anyone can make a film but but almost no one can show it and then and then because of like the capitalist system of the festivals it's like they just parrot the bigger festivals just because you know and like again back to dipso it's like you're talking about towns like you know where the festival drives some of the economy and that's fair you know um, they don't give a shit to discover someone. They just want to show the cool film that, like, like older people have heard about in, like, the Boston Globe, you know? Yeah. So, and then in those festivals, like, with Tormenting the Hen, like, we'll occupy, like, the one slot of, like, the other film that, you know, wasn't at Sundance. Yeah. And it's just... You know, I don't know what to say about it because it's not their fault and they never propose to like discover anybody. They just, so, but for some reason we think that festivals are for discovery because of the myth of Sundance and South by and these festivals of like Jim Jarmusch and these people that got discovered in the nineties, but it's not the nineties. Yeah. And so like there is no yeah. there's no there's no discovery anymore. It's it's just Yeah, well, I would yeah. say, you know, I don't want to like say there isn't because I've, you know, heard of some cases where there was. So like it's just diminished so much or at least like whatever, like maybe well, it was I mean, like, it's a, like it's maybe it was a story to begin with. It's like a lottery with. though. It's like people yeah. win the lottery, like, but like most people don't. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um there is that thing, though, like, okay, so you're playing near, like, all of these movies that played, like, Sundance and South by Southwest, and then it's your film. And then it's like, oh, I wonder if, yeah. like, this is rubbing off at all. You know, I wonder if, like, people are seeing these together, and maybe this will help me for my next film, which is, like, another, like, oh, kind of... Oh, wow, that's, like, so inspiring, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> like, maybe. What? Yeah. No, oh, it's shit. not... I didn't even consider that yeah i don't know i really don't know it's like not necessarily rooted in reality but it's one of those things too where it's just like you get rejected so many times and like you compare your film to other films that have done better that had way more support behind them which means like uh institutionally or financially or whatever and um, you actually get that opportunity to screen with them or, like, be a part, you know, you feel like a filmmaker for once. You feel like you're not a piece of shit, that, you know, your work has merit and stuff like that. Um, and you see that it can work. You see that your film, like, no, this does work. It it can stand next to, like, this film. And, you know, I don't know if people are looking at that and if they're being like, oh, okay, like, well, they thought that these films that your film or my film could stand with this film that like premiered at blah, 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 then these guys must be the real deal too. 
you know, I don't think people really pay attention that much, but maybe subconsciously they're, uh, you know, they're starting to think well about us. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's, there's middle ground festivals and then like, you know, I can, but I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like, is that philosophy just caught in its own expectation when that expectation was never presented to begin with? Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think festivals like propose to help start a career, for instance. I think like people, I think people meet each other at festivals and then potentially through that meeting, something could happen. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much only happens at like five festivals. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I'm not going to stop. Sorry. No, yeah, and that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Don't stop, Chris. You kick ass. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to let you stop either. And now we have, like, proof. We have this, like, audio proof that... Oh, boy. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so let's wrap up. Why don't you tell us what's, uh, what's next for Hen and what you're working on next? Um, well, Hen is playing at Indie Memphis, and then um, hopefully in middle of November, we're going to have our theatrical in New York. And then uh, I'm looking to start editing a documentary that Carol and I shot in Brazil, um, hopefully in the next couple months. Um, but we've been translating it for about a year into subtitles. Um, and then I'm writing, I wrote a pilot comedy and there's three other scripts laying around and just deciding, you know, what to do next. And maybe we can get coffee sometime and you can help advise me of what I should do because I don't know what the hell to do. Hey man, just keep being you, man. That's my advice. I got to give, <laughs> just keep being Teddy, man. I don't know who Teddy is. It's you, man. <laughs> um, but cool. Thank you for coming on and talking to me. Thanks for having me, man. Totally. Um, so this is Theodore Kalados. You can check out his movies. Dipso is out. You can get it on iTunes. And um, it's streaming on Kinoscope, right? Not on iTunes, but it is on Kinoscope Scope, sorry, and Fandor and Amazon. Oh, okay. All right. So go to don't go to iTunes. <laughs> um, it's on iTunes Amazon. Is very expensive. Oh. Well. All right. Uh, yeah. Fandor, Amazon, and Kinoscope, which uh, my film is also on Kinoscope, along with a bunch of other films that uh, are great. Yeah. Uh, check out the accompanying article for teddy's other films his short films uh trailers and stuff like that do you have a website that you can tell people to go to uh brokenhorsefilms.org organization yes it's very organized (laughs) (laughs) there's a bunch of shorts there and whatnot and feel free to reach out to me um, yeah okay cool all right man thanks chris totally Peace. Backbone of the industry. Stop. Bye.
Indie Beat and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get a 7-day free trial, so this is the real deal, people. You could do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices, such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, sonnies. Movie is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Movie is now showing in the U.S. of A. New York Film Festival's Projections. Got a couple of films from the 2017 projection showcase, including Jody Mack's Wasteland Number no. One, Ardant Verdant. Uh, it's not how you pronounce those last two words, but you get it. Anyway, uh, also Jesse McLean's Wherever You Go, There We Are. There's also a Takashi Miike special, and up now is Rainy Dog, which is a uh, another Yakuza film from Miike. And it's set in Taiwan. It has themes of family and cultural displacement and all that great stuff. Also is Homeland, Iraq Year Zero from 2015. This is by Abes Fadel, and it takes place during the very beginning of the Iraq War. And it's long, but very good required viewing, I'd say. And that does it. Looks like we're out of time. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. I think you can do that on SoundCloud. Not sure. Um, so we have a Twitter feed, which is basically all of our episodes. And it's pretty easy to go back and see who we've had on through Twitter. And that's twitter.com slash IndieBeatMovies. We also have a Facebook page, which is also very informative. And that is facebook.com slash IndieBeatMovies. And that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Until we meet again. You know what I mean by meet, really. Because we're not going to meet. Probably not. Um, Bye-bye.